Paul says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And Father, we humbly pause and ask just for the help of your Holy Spirit now as we open the word of God. We pray that your spirit that inspired and authored and gave to us the word of God would now be our interpreter and our teacher and the one who would speak to us what you would have us to hear. So, Lord, we pray, prepare us accordingly, bless your word and speak to our hearts in a personal way, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it is a difficult and certainly a tiring thing to try and move against the current uh, when you're in water, whether that's a strong flowing river or perhaps if you've been at the ocean. It really takes determination to move against the current when it's pushing against you. And I think as well, it's in like manner a difficult and tiring thing to move against the moral and the spiritual current of this world that oftentimes is pushing against us in the opposite direction that we realize that we probably should be going as followers of Christ. And it really takes a love for the Lord and some real determination to be willing to kind of move against the current of this world, to keep doing what is right, even when others among you are not doing what's right. And, you know, I found in my life and perhaps you've seen as well that quite often in the spiritual life, doing what is hard and doing what is right are the exact same thing. A lot of times doing the hard thing is doing the right thing and so often we find that. And that's really what Timothy's mentor, Paul the Apostle, is kind of saying to him here as he wraps up this last chapter we're looking at of this letter. Remember, these are Paul's dying words. Paul's about to mention in the next few verses that he's about to depart from this world. He realizes that his death is impending, so he's encouraging Timothy as his protege. Really, you could say, especially in this last chapter, he's, he's kind of encouraging Timothy to just man up to man up spiritually, to be willing to do the right thing, to stay the course, to have a spiritual backbone. He's going to say there in verse 5 as we conclude our study this morning, Timothy, despite what others in the world are doing, despite what others in the church are doing, at the end of the day, Timothy, you be watchful of your own life. You make sure to endure through hardship if that's what it takes to honor God and be willing to do the work and fulfill your part. So really what we have in front of us in these first five verses this morning is really a text about doing what is right regardless of what anyone else around you is doing. Just doing what is right regardless of what others do. And for Timothy particularly, it's in regards to being faithful as we'll see in the proclamation of God's word. And the reason that was imperative for him as a pastor and a teacher in the church of Ephesus there is because remember, as we saw last time, God's word is the spiritual antidote for the diseased, sinful condition of every human heart. 
The word of God is God's divine prescription to deal with the infectious condition of sin that's in every one of our hearts and the cancerous condition that's plaguing all of our lives and our sinfulness. And in light of combating and dealing with evil times that are coming in the last days and the increase of false teachers, Paul exhorted Timothy at the end of chapter 3 there we saw to basically continue in the word of God. Timothy, stay rooted in the word of God, carry on, continue in the word of God. He then declared, look at verse 16 and 17 of our last chapter, chapter 3. He said, verse 16, Timothy, for all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable, beneficial, valuable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work so again god's life-giving word because it is inspired with the very life and breath and presence of god himself his word being divine is the best and most profitable thing to invest in for our spiritual health now it is with that proclamation there in verse 16 and 17 of chapter 3 that really emphasizes the importance and value of God's word that Paul then now goes to continue again no chapter breaks in the original letters when they were written he now commands Timothy to utilize the power of the word of God in a way that would help other people around him so look with me there in verse 1 he then therefore says so in light of this Timothy I charge you verse 1 therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead that is appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. So as one who's in the same battle that Timothy was in at this time, as someone who held a, you could say, position of spiritual authority over Timothy's life as a spiritual leader in the church, Paul now gives Timothy, the language literally is a military charge, an order the idea is. He says there, look at it in verse one in the text. He says, Timothy, I charge you. That speaks of of basically imposing on someone an urgent requirement, something that was very serious to be fulfilled. He says, I'm placing upon you a serious task, something that is essential, something that's a crucial responsibility that you must fulfill. And notice he says there in verse one as well, he says, I'm charging you before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a, that's a pretty uh, intense audience to answer to there. This charge I'm giving to you, he says, it is before, the literal language, literal language means in the presence of God. Timothy, this exhortation, this charge that I'm assigning to you, he says, I am giving this to you in the presence of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In essence, what Paul's doing is reminding Timothy that everything that he did in his ministry, that everything that happened among the church and its gatherings and its times of worship was all happening right before the presence of the Father and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is that they were in the midst, that the Father and the Son were right there among the body of Christ ever present they were the unseen guests of honor among the church i can hear paul saying timothy don't ever 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 forget who are the most important people in attendance at the church meeting it's god the father and it's his son jesus christ 
That above all else is who the most important guests of honor are. Jesus said, remember in Matthew 18, for whenever two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst. That when even two or three assembled in the name of Jesus, he honors us with his presence. Listen, that's why I, you know, I get very offended when sometimes people apologize because only two or three people show up for a, a meeting. Listen, if two people show up or three people show up for a meeting, Jesus showed up. <laughs> that's important. That has value to it. Jesus said, I'll be in the midst. Jesus in Revelation 2 spoke about how he walked in the midst of of the lampstands. The idea is walked in the midst of the churches. That Jesus walks in our midst. He is the unseen but very real, ever-present guest in every gathering when God's people come together. He's with us this morning. In Psalm 22, it says, God's enthroned in the praises of people. This was an important spiritual reality that Paul wanted Timothy to be aware of and never to forget, to, to stay conscious of that the Lord was dwelling amongst the church, observing all that Timothy did in his ministry, paying attention and seeing all that happened in the gathering and the, the worship meeting and what was taking place. And see, that should have great influence, therefore, upon what happens in church gatherings. If Timothy was conscious of, hey, the Father in heaven and the Son, Jesus Christ, they show up and are present spiritually in the midst of our meetings well boy that should really influence what happens in worship gatherings and how ministry takes place remembering that making sure that when we gather together we want to honor their presence and we want to do what meets their approval and what's pleasing to them because that's what the holy spirit is genuinely concerned about directing in the time as God's people gather together. The Spirit of God, not the Spirit of man, the Spirit of God is concerned about pleasing the Father and honoring and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy says, don't ever, ever reduce the worship meeting to simply providing religious entertainment. Don't ever do that. Don't ever allow to, to just provide religious entertainment where you're just trying to gather more happy spiritual customers. Don't do that, he says. Remember, you're before in the presence of the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We're to be conscious of and concerned about, Paul saying, what pleases the Father. Whatever would honor the Son in the times that the church gathers. And I'll tell you, as a church, and in our ministering and whatever we do for the Lord, we should really stay conscious of that as God's people. We should always remember the reality that the presence of God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God are in our midst, that they're among us, and that our greatest desire above all else in our meetings would be to honor the presence of our Father and to honor His Son and that His Spirit would have freedom to bring glory and attention to them, to, to, that they would approve of what's happening amongst us in our midst. Well, next Paul goes on to remind Timothy as well in verse 1 there of how all men, notice, will give account for what they do. All men are going to give account for what they do. He says, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Notice Jesus who is the Savior. And thanks be to God for that. That Jesus is the one who spares us from the judgment of hell and spares us from the punishment we deserve for our sin. Jesus is the Savior, but the Bible teaches Jesus is also the righteous judge of all of mankind. 
that that is his role as well. At the time of Jesus appearing, the Bible says here in verse 1, that is when he returns back to this earth and appears again and then establishes his glorious kingdom that is ruling and reigning upon this earth, that it is at that time, it says there, verse 1, look at the text, that the Lord Jesus will judge the living and the dead. That is all of humanity. In John chapter 5, Jesus said regarding himself, John 5, Jesus said, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, and has given him authority to execute judgment also. See, that judgment of the Lord Jesus is going to happen at least on two major occasions for sure, when Jesus will bring judgment among humanity. Those two occasions specifically, particularly, are A, the great white throne judgment, and B, what we call the judgment seat of Christ. One is a judgment of condemnation or eternal damnation. The other is a judgment of evaluation to give out eternal reward. The, the first one that we could talk about, the great white throne judgment, that is a judgment not for the Christian, that is a judgment of Christ for the unbeliever, for the unsaved. Revelation 20 describes this, that those who have died in their sin, that is, they chose not to accept Jesus Christ as God's provision, as the Savior for their sin. They chose to not follow Jesus Christ. Those who died without Jesus as Savior and Lord, they must now face the sentencing day, if you would, in court before the, the courts of heaven. And Revelation 20 calls this the great white throne judgment that at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ in his kingdom, those who rejected Jesus says will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. And it's at that point that basically what is happening is the unsaved are basically being proved and verified by the accurate records of heaven that they had opportunity to accept Jesus, but they chose to reject Christ. And as the result of that, they must now face the damnation, the eternal consequence of rejecting God's son, Jesus Christ. It's a time when the books are opened and man's choice is then accounted for. And it's the sentencing day, if you would, in court. It says in Revelation 20, anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire where they're tormented forever and ever. And that is one of the ways that Jesus will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. But there is also a judgment that is called the judgment seat of Christ. And that is the judgment for the believer, the judgment for the Christian. And it's not a judgment of our soul because Jesus saved our soul. If you're saved this morning and you're truly a, a child of God, you've genuinely had a salvation experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not going to appear at the great white throne judgment. That's not for the believer. But you will face a judgment more for evaluation than it is to, to punish you because your punishment was embraced by Christ. You're not going to be punished for your sin, but what you are going to be is evaluated and judged for how you served your Savior and how you ran your race spiritually. The Bible speaks of in 2 Corinthians 5.10 is saying that we must all appear Christians before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So what it's really referring to, the Greek is the bema seat. It's referring to how in that day when athletes would compete, there were judges who presided over the games. 
And, and those judges would watch how people performed and then they would then make determinations in regards to dispensing of the rewards or the reefs or the crowns and the medals and the Olympic Games and so forth. This is the idea that after we've run our race and we've crossed the finish line and entered into the presence of the Lord, we are then going to be judged, evaluated by Jesus for how we ran our race. How faithful were we? How committed were we? Did we stay in the lane? Did we give our best? 1 Corinthians 3 says the fire will test each one's work and if anyone's work endures, he'll receive a reward. Paul's going to say in the next few verses in this chapter here that we shall receive crowns of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to those who served him and who were waiting for his appearing. Again, Paul is reminding Timothy to remain aware. Timothy, listen. There's a day of accounting coming for everyone among humanity. And it is these two days of accounting before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, these coming judgments that should be the incentive for Timothy doing what was right before the Lord. He's saying, Timothy, never forget one day all those among humanity that are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, they will face eternal judgment. Their soul will be judged and cast into hell into the lake of fire. Timothy, people's souls will be judged one day eternally. And as well, Timothy, never forget as well that as a Christian, though you've been spared from heaven, one day you're going to stand before your Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. And you're going to be evaluated. And you want to stand before that evaluation and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And you want to receive a crown and the rewards eternally that you'll experience in heaven for all of eternity together that you might cast that reward before the Lord and enhance your worship experience. You don't want to be standing there with a little beanie propeller saying, can I try your crown, man? Can you just try yours for a minute? I just, I didn't get no crowns. He's saying, Timothy, you want to run the race well. And for all of us, honestly, the same should always stay in our conscious awareness as well as believers because that will help us living out our lives and our service to the Lord. We need to remember as God's people, the soul of every person is at stake. Every unsaved friend and relative and person around us, they are eternal beings. And if they do not know and follow and accept Jesus Christ's salvation for their soul, they will face eternal judgment. They will face the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And as well, we should always remember that as a believer, one day we, like Timothy, are going to stand before God and we want to stand before him with confidence and have that fulfillment and pleasure that we ran the race well, the best of our ability. Now, in light of that spiritual reality that the Lord's going to judge, all humanity is appearing in return. Paul then gives the divine charge, verse 2, to Timothy. In light of those things, Timothy says, therefore, notice verse 2, preach the word. In light of this, Timothy, here's my charge. Three words. Preach the word. And that word preach there isn't kind of the idea we envision whenever we hear the word preach. We picture somebody standing behind a wooden box and, you know, giving a presentation of some message or maybe somebody, you know, Billy Graham evangelizing at a big crusade. That word preach that's used there is literally just a term that means to herald aloud. It was actually a term that described how a messenger would be sent from a throne of a king to go into a territory and maybe to read an edict. And those words that he was reading and he was speaking, they weren't his words. 
They were actually the king's words. And he had the authority of the king behind him, but he was just faithfully speaking really what the words of the king had already been spoken. He was just conveying the words of his king. And Timothy is told now, Timothy, just like that, you make public proclamation with heaven's authority behind you of the words of the king of kings. You make proclamation of the word of God. Give God's word to God's people. Timothy's chief occupation and primary task as a pastor, notice, was making public proclamation of God's word. To read the word of God, to speak and share what God had declared in the Holy Scripture, to prepare God's word, to teach God's word, to share that with people because that, God knows, would be of what is greatest value to them. Now, keep in mind, all around Timothy, as we've seen in this letter and talked about, there was false doctrine happening. There were people with deceptive ways and false teachers who were alluring followers. These letters, First and Second Timothy, talk about how those who were once on track are now straying from the truth. That people were falling away from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, the Bible says. And as Timothy, understand, watched all that happening and the seeming outward success and growth and momentum of the followings of these who were leading people away from the things of God, like any human being in his humanity, no doubt realizing the momentum is going with them and the popularity of speaking the word of God seems to be diminishing. He's a human being. I'm sure that was very disheartening to him as a young pastor. I'm sure that was discouraging to his soul and no doubt in his humanity there would be that pressure and temptation to even question, should he change things? Should he back off from presenting the word of God and biblical preaching? So Paul here charges him before he passes off into eternity. He says, Timothy, listen, here's my final charge. Your responsibility is to preach the word. That is your role to keep preaching the word. Despite what others may do or not do, your role is to preach the word. It's not to entertain people. It's not to make the church service like a show where it's a quality performance to keep everyone really interested and stimulated so they want to attend the experience. And, and I'll tell you, much of this I look at and, and my heart is grieved because today it, it genuinely does seem in some ways. As we look among the culture of the church, it seems that there's always sort of this you know, kind of desire for the exciting new things. How can we further upgrade the, the presentation of a worship meeting and, and you even begin to see this language being discussed in Christian books and, and you know lingo in regards to you know, uh, you know church leadership you know we, we, we need to you know make our presentation better and, and, and the pastor is only the pastor he's now the presenter he, the presenter well I understand that in a sense but, but the whole concept behind it is, is, is we need to do whatever we can to kind of just you know Replace what God said was good enough with what would stimulate and keep people interested and entertained and, and all those kind of things. I mean, and just look around. It, we have we set up special colored lighting and the colored lighting has to match the mood of the, the particular service that day. And, and we need to you know, do what we can to use you know, like props and side effects and all these other things to make it a stimulating experience so people are having the sensory overload and the audience is stirred. And listen, my concern with that is very simply this. 
is the whole service then becomes put together like a quality Hollywood production. And what is supposed to be a worship meeting instead sometimes gets reduced to this professional, engaging, entertaining performance for people who are attending like an audience. And I have great concern when I see that kind of thing, the mindset being we need to meet people's needs and impress them and the experience should be fun and stimulating and and something in a way because the idea and the mindset of that, it's almost like we're saying people are bored with God. And people are bored with God, so therefore, I mean, I mean, we need to do something to kind of make up for this in some other ways. So we need to, you know, borrow from Hollywood and because that's what people want and what they need to sit through and be stimulated and be excited about. And let me just say, listen, please don't misunderstand me. There is nothing wrong. I have no qualms within balance and wisdom and moderation using technology in our current generation. I have nothing against those things in and of themselves. You know, in balance, I don't think there's anything wrong. I don't have a pharisaical attitude somewhere. Well, that's horrible. You shouldn't do it. And, and some people go way to the other extreme. Almost as somehow anything of technology or lighting, it's oh, the devil. I'm there. You're getting carnal. I mean, I think th- there's a balance in these things. But my concern is the balance is swinging too far towards the entertainment attitude of it. And, and Paul here is saying, no, Timothy, the biblical model for worship is putting the emphasis upon honoring God, preaching the word, helping people spiritually, because it's the scriptures, last I checked, Paul said in chapter 3, it's the scriptures that are sufficient for salvation of souls. It's the scripture that brings transformation. Titus chapter 1, the Bible says, God has in due time manifested his word through preaching. Paul writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 said it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So again, Timothy was not to be a cruise director. He was to be a spiritual doctor, helping people be healthy spiritually, preaching the word. Again, Ephesians 4 says the pastor teacher is called to be equipping the saints for works of ministry edifying, building up, making healthy the body of Christ so that there would be healthy sheep who then can be involved in their culture and have influence and impact in their families. Jeremiah 3, I love God's words there. God says, I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. God says, these are the shepherds according to my heart, that according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, the valuable benefits of God's word, the profitableness of the word of God, this is what people need to mature spiritually and be healthy. Now, if I can for a moment just to, to, to linger here, let me say one or two other things. Notice, Paul says, Timothy, preach, underline those last two things, the word. That tells me something. Timothy, the content of your preaching should be the word the content of your preaching should not be current events interesting statistics really great stories some good jokes some awesome illustrations some psychological self-help ideas giving people keys to how to have a happy wonderful life helping people to understand relationship tools for success. No, he says, Timothy, don't waste precious time when you get it and God's people are listening, giving them all that other stuff. And here's the bottom line, especially in today's day and age, people can get information lots of other ways. All that other stuff, hit Google. 
But when you have the ear of God's people, he says, don't give them that. They can get that stuff on their own. Give them God's word. Give them what can help their soul, what can benefit them spiritually. And notice as well, he doesn't say preach from the word. He says preach the word. Big difference, but many don't take this into consideration. He doesn't say preach about the word of God, preach from the word of God. He says preach the word of God. See, a lot of times in pulpits, people will communicate and they'll teach from the Bible. They'll put together a nice organized outline, you know, things they want to talk about. And then they just kind of use scriptures as their subpoints to emphasize their points. Or they, they teach from the Bible. They maybe they, they read a text and I call it astronaut preaching. They read a text and then they blast off into space and they never come back and land at the text again. It's like, could we ever come back to the text? We've been on Mars and Venus and everywhere. Else. You read that text. He says, Timothy, preach the word. That is, teach the Bible, not from the Bible, not about the Bible. Actually teach the Bible itself. Read it, explain it, apply it. That is the nourishment that people need. Warren Wearsby, a great commentator, said this. I couldn't help. Listen to his quote. He says, The preacher must not simply tell Bible stories, relate interesting illustrations, or read a verse and then forget it. True preaching is the explanation and application of Bible doctrine. Anything else is just religious speech-making. Paul goes on to tell Timothy not only what to do, but when to do it. Look what he says going on in verse 2. He says, Timothy, not only what to do, preach the word, but when do you do it? He says, well, be ready in season and out of season. The idea is when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. When circumstances make it feel like it's the right time and when circumstances make it feel like it's a hard time to do that. When it's easy and when it's difficult. When you feel up to it and when you don't feel up to it. When you're sick and when you're healthy, when, when you're happy or when you're sad, when you're in the mood to do it and when you're not in the mood to do it. If you fought with your wife before church, no, that never happens. If you haven't fought with your wife before church, at any time in season, when it's, whether it's being well received or whether it's being ignored and rejected, still do it. He says, whether you feel prepared or whether you feel completely unprepared, Anytime, whenever you have the opportunity. He says, don't let the circumstances dictate when you'll be faithful and when you're not going to be faithful. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, that's a great exhortation for all of us because we should take any opportunity we have to embrace the moment to share God's word, whether it's talking to a friend or a co-labor or a family member or an opportunity to share the word of God. I mean, that's a great privilege, man. That's a huge privilege. To share the very word of the king of kings with the eternal soul of another human being. And we as well, in season and out of season, as God's servants, should always be faithful to serve the Lord. Listen, please, when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. I tell you something, convenient ministry is usually never effective ministry. If you're looking for a convenient ministry, it'll be convenient, but it may not be very effective. Jesus' ministry, when he suffered and died and bled out his life into the earth didn't seem real convenient, but it was very effective. It was very effective. 
The personal cost, the sacrifice, God honors that. And we should be loyal and committed when it's easy to and when it's hard. Listen, when you want to do it and when you don't want to do it. Because in season and out of season, we should be faithful to the Lord at all times. Do what's right, even when you feel like it and even when you don't feel like it. As a more mature spiritual leader, Paul then tells him how to go about it. Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And then he says, convince, verse 2, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So here's how he was to use God's word to accomplish helpful things. He was to use God's word, verse 2, to convince people. That word convince there means to present evidence of truth when somebody's thinking wrongly. And is it not true that because of my sinful condition, a lot of times my heart and my mind are having wrong feelings and wrong thoughts? Happens to me all the time. My feelings are wrong, my thoughts are wrong, and the problem is, is I'm just broken inside. But it's the truth of God's word that can be used in such a way to show us what is right when we're thinking or feeling wrongly. The word of God, he says, Timothy, use it to convince people to prove their error and to show them what's right. Like in a court where you're, you're giving evidence of what is true. God's word should be taught in a way where people are able to see the truth in all matters, where they're convicted convicted of what they are viewing wrongly and then they're convinced oh that is right god is right what god says is accurate and what god says is true and therefore they're convicted and convinced by the word of god he also says secondly there that he's also to use the word of god not only to convince but also to rebuke and that's a stronger term which basically means to use god's word to confront or to challenge those in sin or who in error in some way to present the word of God so that necessary correction, that's what Paul said it was good for back in chapter three, correction and reproof. And sometimes God's word was to be used in a way as Timothy taught it and preached it and presented it to basically rebuke somebody who was in error, to challenge their soul, to confront them of their sin or their wrong behavior, wrong attitude. And sometimes people need to be rebuked. We need to be confronted at times and God's word does that. God's word has a way of just rebuking us in our attitude or our mindset sometimes or if we're in sin and we need to repent of it. He says as well, thirdly, use God's word not only to convince and rebuke but also he says there, verse two, to exhort, that is to give a strong encouragement, to challenge or encourage people to keep doing what's good or maybe to step out and to to start doing what they know they should. So Timothy wasn't only to use the word of God to instruct people what to do. He also was to use God's word to challenge them towards what was right, to motivate them, to use the scripture to encourage people's hearts and to stir them to believe and to act and to be exhorted to step forward. And the way he was to do that, the end of verse two, he says, do it with all long suffering, patience, the idea is, and teaching notice sharing god's word with people requires a patient process over time just like raising children right if you think as a parent that you're going to instruct your child one time and they got it the rest of their life oy vey sign up for counseling right it's a patient process teaching instructing reminding continually and this is the idea god's children have to be instructed with god's truth thoroughly and repeatedly with all long suffering and teaching continuing to stay the course teaching again and again doing what giving people time to develop time to grow 
time to mature time to overcome we need to extend the grace for people to do that if we're going to teach and share God's word no person will last long sharing God's word or teaching God's word if they expect instant change and maturity in people if you cannot have patience with those you're trying to help with the word of God to instruct and guide you're not going to last long you're going to become very frustrated in the process well next Paul tells Timothy in verse 3 and 4 also why preaching the word is important here's the reason why Paul was concerned verse 3 for the time will come he says when men will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires because they have itching ears they will heap up for themselves teachers and will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fable so notice God reveals here by the Holy Spirit through Paul that there was a time coming among the church age he says a time coming when people would not accept healthy biblical teaching but instead would seek after stimulating talks that they enjoy listening to instead he says times are coming when people will not look at the language there verse 3 they will not he says endure sound that is healthy doctrine biblical teaching notice not just losing interest in Bible teaching not just being apathetic about Bible teaching it literally says they will not endure it that is they won't put up with it anymore literally there would be a stand in some ways against it where it wouldn't be tolerated they would not accept sound Bible teaching as a part of a worship gathering that's kind of the mindset that's being described there they want to hear instead look at verse 3 they want to hear instead what is in accordance we says there with their own desires that is rather than hearing what does God desire of our lives what are God's desires they want to hear what is going to reinforce their desires they want to hear what they would desire to do is okay their own feelings their own ideas hey we want to hear something that's going to support and reinforce doing whatever we desire tell us that God wants us to be happy tell us that God wants us to always have our way looking for those who will say what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear or what God wants to say he says those church attenders Paul says in the text there will turn away from listening to the truth because if they know the truth then they feel accountable to the truth so that's why they don't want to hear the truth of God's word because then they feel accountability to God and because they turn away from the truth notice they're easily misled into believing wrong things he says there verse 4 because they turn away from the truth they'll be turned aside to fables now what are fables or your translations may say myths well fables and myths are what they're stories that are untrue and they're man-made ideas to entertain people who are listening and he says this is what becomes the appealing thing instead people will be willing to listen to anything whether it's helpful or harmful all they care about is like a religious audience who's gone to a play that wants to be entertained they just hey do whatever it takes we don't care if it's true helpful if it's God's will God's word just stimulate us tell us something that's going to make us feel good about ourselves or emotionally stirred or entertained or you know reinforce that my lifestyle is okay don't tell me God would ever want me to change don't tell me God's way may be different than my way notice he says the end of verse 3 this picturesque language he says it's because verse 3 they have itching ears they'll heap up for themselves teachers the itching ears describes their you know a desire to be scratched 
When you have an itch, you want to satisfy it. You want to make it feel better. And that becomes the heart and mindset. People want to have somebody scratch the itch for what they want to hear. They want somebody that's going to be stimulating and entertaining as a, communica- a communicator. Hey, we, I need you to scratch the itch, man. I need you to keep me awake. And, and I'm not anything healthy or good about boring teaching. I think boring preaching is a crime. But nonetheless, there's a, a way where this can become out of balance where, as I said, people, they just want their ears tickled. They just want, the, they want their ears scratched. Hey, can you just satisfy and do what's going to make us feel better? We don't really want to hear what God has to say. We want to hear instead what, what we just like to hear. Can you just say things that we like to hear? Isn't it interesting? What did Jesus say? They had itching ears. Jesus said that the church was to have an ear to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. You know, one commentator said this. This is a startling quote. Listen to it. He says, Many church attenders do not want healthy, sound doctrine. Instead, they want religious entertainment from Christian performers who will tickle their ears. We have a love for novelty in the churches today. Too often, the person who simply opens the Bible and teaches it is ignored while the shallow religious entertainer becomes a celebrity. Boy, that sounds eerily, eerily familiar of what is going on. And yet the Bible says, God's word says, biblical teaching, biblical preaching is what is needed. And biblical preaching, listen, should both do two things. It should comfort the afflicted and it should afflict the comfortable. It should comfort the afflicted and it should afflict the comfortable at the same time. Well, verse 5, Paul concludes this section by charging Timothy to remain true, though it's hard to go against the tide. He says, Timothy, but you, despite what else is happening, you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So he encourages Timothy to do, notice, not what is easy, not what is necessarily popular, but what is simply right before God what is right in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ he gives him some exhortations in verse 5 he says Timothy you be watchful in all things the idea is stay alert spiritually pay attention be careful of spiritual detours be careful of not allowing yourself to be pulled off course even when others are deviating He says, you be watchful. Watch yourself. Pay attention. When others are deviating, don't let yourself get caught up in the trend. Don't let yourself get pulled off in the current. Watch yourself. Pay attention. And then he says as well, verse 2, when others are doing what's wrong and you look like the outcast and so it becomes difficult, he says as well, the second thing, verse 5, you got to be willing to endure afflictions. That is pain or suffering to some degree. Timothy needed to be willing to embrace personal cost for spiritual faithfulness. Timothy, you may be afflicted by what other people say about you. You may deal with personal cost and problems because you're trying to be faithful, but in order to be faithful to God and to his word, he says you have to be willing to endure at times a little bit of personal suffering, a little bit of difficulty to endure through hard things, to honor and please the Lord. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus, did he not suffer affliction? to obey and to fulfill the will of his Father. And if Jesus did that as his followers, sometimes as his servants, we have to endure some hard things 
to fulfill the will of God in our life. As I said at the beginning, a lot of times doing what is hard and doing what is right are the exact same thing. And we have to be willing to endure those things. He also challenges Timothy, verse 5, to do the work of an evangelist. Now again, what's an evangelist? Someone who's focused primarily on what? Proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus Christ so people understand how they can be saved, how they can go to heaven, how their sins can be forgiven. So he says, Timothy, you should have a burden and, and a concern for people's souls and share the gospel message clearly. Now notice what he says to Timothy. Interesting, because maybe this was an insight to Timothy's life that he was certainly a pastor teacher, but perhaps he didn't feel like a gifted, anointed evangelist, like a Billy Graham or someone. So he says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And see, even if you don't feel like that you have the spiritual gifting of evangelism, we can all still do the work of an evangelist. We can also have a concern for people's souls and we can also, like Jesus said, go into all the world and preach, proclaim, present the gospel. And I think that this is something that's very important because sometimes we almost make excuse for why we don't share the gospel and give an opportunity for people to be saved. Why I'm not an evangelist. Well, Paul told Timothy, who was a pastor, do the work of an evangelist still, Timothy. You still present the gospel message you still give people an opportunity to be saved. And, and Timothy, maybe you may not be someone who comes forward and people come forward and altar calls. Maybe you don't have this evangelistic gift, but you can still do the work of evangelism. You can still do the work of an evangelist. And lastly, he charges them, the end of verse 5, he says, and fulfill your ministry. That is, Timothy had a set ministry for his life. And in the same way, he was to be faithful to complete it. We each have a ministry for all of our lives. God has given to each one of us gifts spiritually and callings upon our life and we each have a ministry from the Lord and he wants us to faithfully fulfill our ministry, not to neglect it. Hey, this morning, can I ask you, what form of service has the Lord given you to do? And my second question is this, are you fulfilling it? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you using the things that God has put upon your heart? God's given you an avenue to serve are you fulfilling your ministry? Are you being faithful to it? Are you giving your best to it or neglecting it? It's important that we would fulfill it. In essence, Timothy's being told by Paul, again, being faithful is not always going to be easy, but that's never an excuse, he's saying, Timothy. When I die, remember, son, he says, that's never an excuse for taking the easy path or compromising just because it's hard to go and do the right thing. He's saying to him, the Lord Jesus is observing all you're doing and one day you're going to answer to him. One day you're going to be evaluated. And if you're faithful, Timothy, there's going to be a reward for you in the end. And so he concludes in verse 5 when in essence saying, so therefore, listen, in the meantime, watch how you live. Keep watch over yourself. Pay attention to what you do and the direction you're going and be willing to endure any personal cost that it requires to be faithful to the Lord. And he says, Timothy, have a concern for people's souls. Be burdened with people's eternal destiny. Let that motivate how you live your life. Tell people about Jesus. And he says, be faithful to fulfill your purpose. Find your purpose and fulfill it. Be faithful to it. Shall we stand together?